That's one of the keys to your success in Christ is remembering how great he is. You see, the devil tries to get us distracted with our view. The Lord clearly says that we're not to walk by sight, but by faith. And the devil tries to get us distracted and looking on what, at what's going on around us. And we lose sight oftentimes of the greatness of the God that we serve. I tell you what, every time I hear that song, it don't matter who sings it. It's just about all that needs to be said, I'm telling you. If you have your Bibles, open to 1 Samuel chapter 31. read about the tragic end to King Saul's life and his sons. And while I don't really want to so much dwell on the entirety of that story, there's one verse in there over in verse 12 that's where I'm going to camp out that I want us to glean and draw some things from that God wants me to admonish the body of Christ and give each of us a charge from that verse that I want us to leave here with tonight. So, beginning in verse 1, chapter 31. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines, and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons, and the Philistines killed Jonathan and Abinadab and Melchizedek, Saul's sons. The battle became fierce against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was severely wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul his three sons, his armor-bearer, and all his men died together that same day. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those who were on the other side of the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled that, and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled. And the Philistines came and dwelt in them. So it happened the next day that when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. And they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim it in the, the temple of their idols and among the people. Then they put his armor in the temple of the Asterisks and they, they fastened his body to the wall at Bethshan. And when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard that the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and traveled all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the walls in Bethshan. And they came to Jabesh and burned them. Then they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree at Jabesh and fastened, 
fasted seven days. I want to preface what the Lord's laid in my heart tonight with looking at the me generation. The times in which we live, everything seems to be based around me. What I like, how I like it, when I want it. We've lost, oftentimes probably unintentionally, what Christianity is really all about. Obviously, it's about loving God and keeping his commandments and serving him, but Jesus set the example in that it's about others. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. He set the example for us in every way imaginable. He said, I am come to seek and to save that which is lost. Shouldn't we be doing the same things as Christians? He said, for this purpose was the Son of God manifest to destroy the works of the evil one. He's given us authority and power in his name and through his blood and by the filling of his spirit to go forth and to overcome the wiles of the devil. To be a light that shines in darkness, to be salt on the earth, to set forth an example to give people hope that seemingly have lost hope for whatever reason and whatever they may be going through. I oftentimes say because I believe it with all of my heart and many of you have discovered it as well is that one of the devil's favorite tools in his arsenal is to cause you to try to feel like that your circumstance and your situation is hopeless. You see, if he can get you to that place that that's your line of thinking, that it's hopeless, you can't even have faith. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. I want you to know God said in his word in Psalms, Hope thou in God. Why? Because he's a God of hope. There's nothing too hard or difficult with him. All things are possible if we can but believe. And be in tune to his spirit and know when to stand still and when to go forth and when to speak and when to be quiet. And when to take dominion and authority and when to sit back and watch God work. See, oftentimes we get a bloody nose because we're trying to do something when we should be standing still. When we should be watching God show up and show out. But this me mentality that we have in society, I say most of the people in this place, it's at least my age and above, 30. And, uh, uh, well, but we grew up in a generation where our parents, our grandparents taught us, nobody owes you anything. If something's worth having, it's worth working for. It's worth sowing some seeds. But we live in this, oh, don't get me started because I won't be politically correct. I can tell you that. We live in this society where everybody gets a trophy, John. Really? I think there's an underlying 
intention and it's to raise a generation that doesn't know how to rebound from setbacks to go forth to become victorious. Do you know Henry Ford went bankrupt four times before he eventually made it big? Beethoven, that great composer, was deaf. Didn't stop him. What's your excuse? What are you laying your shortcomings on? Who are you blaming? Look in the mirror. This is not a beat you up, make you feel bad. This is a stark reality check tonight. That both in the spiritual realm, in the physical realm, in the monetary realm, in the relationship realm, it ain't about you. It's about others. General Booth, the great founder of the Salvation Army on his deathbed, was asked the question, if he had any last words, took a pencil and he scribbled out the word others others we've got to adapt that same mentality that Paul had that he said it's no longer I that liveth but Christ that liveth in me in the life that I now live I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave his life for me while it was about you in his perspective, it's not about you. It shouldn't be about you and from your perspective. It should be about others. Because he's got your back. You need to have others' backs. Where I'm going with that is simply this. I want to use verse 12. They had killed Saul and his sons, beheaded them, took them and hung them on a wall. It's just like the devil, he likes to take the fallen, men and women and children of God, and expose their shortcomings, expose their sins. He likes, I call them the devil's trophies. And Christians don't help it any, because we're the only ones it has been said that kill our wounded. It's a sad day. When a man or woman can find more compassion and understanding down at the local beer joint than they can in the house of God. It's a sad day when they find more judgment and criticism from a religious spirit in the house of God than out in the world. Right is right, wrong is wrong, sin is sin. I'm not condoning sin, don't get me wrong, but I'm con what I am coming against right here is being a judge. Because he said, judge not lest you be judged. For with what measure you judge, you shall be judged. Now go on and make it however hard on them you want to. Because that's what's coming back to you. Amen. We've got to learn to see the hurting, the broken, the wounded, the lost, the sinner, the addicted. Those that are bound. We've got to begin to see them through the eyes of Jesus. See, that's what he said. For he came. To set at liberty those that are bound. Every time we look at someone that has one of these problems, we got to realize and we, we need to burst with excitement in our side, insides because we can say, 
Here's an opportunity for God to do another miracle. Here's an opportunity for somebody's life to be turned around. Here's an opportunity for somebody's life to be saved. And even better yet, here's an opportunity for somebody's eternal destination to be changed from where it is right now. But you'll never reach them in judgment. You'll only reach them through the, showing them the goodness of God, which is what causes men to repentance. I dare say there's probably not a person in this place that doesn't have a family member or a friend or a co-worker that's on their way to hell right now. I think every one of us in here knows someone. Not that we're judging, but the Bible tells us to judge the fruits of a man, to judge the spirit of a man. And by the way they're living, often is indicative that they're on their way to a place they really don't want to go. And we've got to become burdened for the lost again. I think the church has lost the burden for the lost. You want to know why all churches of all denominations? Well, let me put it this way, not all of them. 78% of churches of all denominations are declining in attendance. Of the remaining 22%, 19% are maintaining based on people leaving one church and coming to their church. That means only 3% of all churches, of all denominations, are growing the way Christianity was intended to, and that's through conversion. Why is that? Has God become less powerful or less compassionate than he once was? Absolutely not. I believe that the body of Christ has become a corpse that's almost a corpse that's bleeding out. You see, our eyes have been gouged out and that we've quit looking under the fields that are white under harvest. Our hand, arms have been amputated and we've stopped reaching out to those that are in need. Why? Because they have a need. And it's all about me. And they need something. They, they require something of me and I'm not ready to give anything of me. Time, money, effort, talents, whatever. Our legs have been amputated and we're bleeding out and we've stopped going into the world. We've stopped fulfilling the great commission in Matthew 28. We've stopped being the legs and, and the hands and the eyes and the voice of Christ to proclaim in darkness the light of the world, Jesus. And as a result, we're trying everything that we can in church realm to come up with this program or that program to try to just get people here. It ain't about getting people here. It's about getting people saved. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Simply put, that's the mission. Win the lost at any cost. I hope you still love me when this is over. But I want you to understand something. We can't lose sight of the fact of John 10.10. 10. That the thief cometh but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus says, but I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. It don't mean just in the sweet by and by. It includes that. But it means right here in the right now. To have the peace of God that surpasses anything that we can ever understand. Not as the world gives, but his peace he gives unto us. He'll give us things, do things in our life that money can't buy. 
He'll give you wisdom beyond your own. Strength beyond your own. He'll enable you and empower you to go forth and to overcome and to be victorious. And otherwise without him you would be defeated and run smooth over. So where I'm going with this and what the Lord wants me to challenge you with tonight. Is to go get them. Get them off the wall. Simply this. We see where in verse 12. We've got to be courageous. It said the valiant men arose. We've got to stir up and muster up a little spiritual intestinal fortitude and to be willing to go into the highways and byways and compel them to come to Christ. One of the scriptures that I think is most often overlooked we talk about faith and absolutely our walk is we walk by faith. But we also want to pray in faith. But do you know that faith without works is dead? Sometimes God wants to use us to, has to help bring about the answer to our prayers. Sometimes when we're praying for that lost loved one, that lost friend, he wants us to be the one that in the time of timing of God, the sensitivity to his Holy Spirit, to give them a word of hope. Most of you know my testimony and I'm not going to share it all but I want to share a small part of it. I'd gotten to a place that the devil had convinced me that I had committed the unpardonable sin. Meaning I had rejected the Holy Spirit so many times that he had tugged at my heart that you need to get right, you need to turn around, you need to surrender to God, you need to repent of your sins, you need to do it. And I kept saying no, 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 not now to it, some other time. I have too much partying to do, too much living to do. Then I got to a place that I've been too bad, I can't, God wouldn't love me, God wouldn't forgive me. And I got to a place that a, the devil convinced me that there was no hope. And that's when I really got bad. Because I was trying to drown that pain and that hurt and that loneliness. But on the morning of November 29, 1977, in the living room of my home, I had been wanting to experience God's presence, God's spirit. I'd wanted to, I grew up in a Christian home and I knew that no man comes to the Father lest the spirit draws him. And I had so longed and yearned for those years the devil had beat me up and said there was no hope. I had longed and yearned to feel the spirit of God drawing at me, convicting me, pulling at me to no avail. I couldn't feel it. I didn't experience Christ. Well, on that morning of the 29th, November 77, I took a drag off my last cigarette. And I thumped it in that fireplace. Amen. And when I looked around, my brother was sitting there with tears running down his eyes. And he said, I got to tell you one more time that God can change your life. And when he did, for the first time in years, it was like a stake drove through my heart. And I turned to Jesus and I cried out to him and he changed my life. And I want you to understand something. It's not by might nor by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. And we need the spirit of God in our life. And we've got to allow that spirit to empower us to be valiant and courageous. To go against all of the odds, but at the same time have the wisdom and the sensitivity and the discernment of the Spirit to know when to speak up and when to shut up. I've seen so many well-meaning people that have such a passion 
to want to do something for God, they'll take that Bible, which the Bible, by, by the way, says the letter killeth, but the Spirit of God giveth life. And they'll take this Bible and they'll go over there and they'll beat people over the head so hard hard with it with hellfire brimstone and, and you're going to split hell wide open. You ain't going to pass go. You ain't going to collect $200. None of that stuff like in Monopoly. You're going to hell. And while that may be the truth, that don't draw them to the Lord. What draws them to the Lord? I want you to know there's a God that loves you. Loves you enough that he died for you. And we got to be sensitive to the spirit of God. as to know when to be quiet and when to shut up. When to witness and when to step back. When to embrace, when to refrain from embracing. When to laugh and when to cry. We've got to get to a place where we, if we're going to profess to be spirit-filled Christians that are led by a spirit, we got to let that really happen. We got to be led by a spirit. Not doing our own thing. Number two. Verse 12 also. They traveled all night. What I get from this is they went out of their way. They did something that wasn't convenient for them to do. Nor easy to do. If we're going to go pursue and overtake and get back those that the devil has stolen. We're going to find ourselves oftentimes in situations and circumstances that's not convenient. Nor is it easy. Nor do we even want to in the flesh but we're going to have to get to that place to where we're willing to go out of our way are you willing thirdly and I'm going to close we see where they went and got those bodies off the wall my friends I want to admonish you and charge you with this before I close how long has it been since you had a burden for the lost in general, but for a lost person in specific? You do realize that according to the word of God, it's not my job nor any other pastor's job to grow a church. It's our responsibility to feed sheep. To admonish them, to encourage them, to be there to doctor them when they're sick and to hold their hands up when they're weak. But the word says this, that sheep beget sheep. You're the sheep of the flock. You're the sheep of the flock of God. He's the good shepherd. And that don't mean you all got to quit your jobs and go to the mission field. It don't mean that at all. What it means is you need to learn to be sensitive because the Lord... I promise you, if you'll begin to fast and to pray and say, Lord, give me a burden for the lost once again. Lord, use me to somehow be light. Somehow use me, Lord, to give people hope and encouragement to point them to you and the cross. If we'll be serious about that and maybe even fast or pray, God will use you because it's his desire to. It's his will. And if we ask anything according to his will, what? He hears you and we have what we ask. He wants to use you. The devil wants you to feel like you're irrelevant. He wants you to feel like that you're a nothing. Well, I can't sing, I can't preach, I can't this, I can't. I guarantee you one thing, there's something you can do. Every one of us have a gift and a calling of some sort. Maybe you need to be an intercessor. Maybe you need to be a prayer warrior. Maybe you need to serve in the way of benevolence. See, the greatest among you is the servant of all. It's not the one that stands up here on this platform. It's the servant. 
I told Mr. Sonny one time in there in the kitchen, I said, Mr. Sonny, I want to thank you for all that you do. He shows up here hours before everybody else to make those pots of coffee. I've seen him mop floors. I've seen him carry food out to cars. I've seen him do a lot of things. Be out here at 2 o'clock in the morning on the nights that we have roping sometimes. Out here helping and serving. I said, Mr. Sonny, I want to thank you for serving open range. You're the greatest in our midst because you're a servant. But you know what? He's not the only servant here. There are a lot of you that have been servants. And a lot of you need to become a servant. Not necessarily to us, but to the Lord. To your community, to your neighborhood, to your neighbor. It's not too early to start thinking about and praying about God putting someone on your heart. Because I assure you the holiday seasons are coming up. And I address you with this every year. More suicides, more domestic abuse charges, more violence during the holiday season than at any other time in the year because the devil so magnifies people's shortcomings and their needs and their sins that they're desperate. And guess what? What a great opportunity for you to give them hope. I'll give somebody a, a way to be used by God right now. Pick a hospital, any hospital, and go just sit in the intensive care waiting room. You'll be astounded at what happens. Because it won't be long, you know, you'll hear the doctors come in and talk to this family and to that family, many of whom are from out of town and have no pastoral care whatsoever. And you'll hear the circumstances and the stories that they're experiencing with their loved ones. And it'll become, they're hurting. And it'll become so easy to walk over and say, I'm sorry I wasn't over, eavesdropping, but I couldn't help but overhear such and such. And would you mind if I pray for you? They will welcome that prayer. And I promise you, you'll, you'll begin to see God show up in there. You'll begin to see doors open that you never dreamed of. Because there's broken, hurting, wounded, lost people everywhere that need hope. I'm going to ask you to pray for that burden. I'm going to ask you to fast. I'm going to ask you to ask the Lord to help you be used by Him. To reach one person before the end of this year. Just one. I'd love for it to be a hundred. But set your sights on the Lord. Lay someone's face before me. Give me an opportunity. My mom, who's not here tonight, is about to be a hundred years old in December. For years, she had a telephone ministry. I'm talking about every day she had burned that sucker up. She was calling people, praying with people, checking on people. Do you know how much it means to someone, especially that lives alone, for you to just call and say, hey, I was thinking about you. I wanted to check on you. Is there anything I can pray with you about? You mind if I come by and have a cup of coffee? I want to encourage you to become sensitive to the ways that God will show you how to be used by Him. Let's pray.